This is the week that we honor a family. And so I'm excited. I wanted to, we're in the year 1996, so next week will be 97, I believe, and then 98, and we're going to keep working until June 11th. Now, June 11th is the actual anniversary Sunday. That is the exact 25th year. So we've got a lot of things planned. In fact, really cool news, I got off the phone a couple of days ago with our missionary, Chantha Chim, missionary to Singapore. Chantha was on staff here for 10 years. He came uh, from California, but from California, he came from Cambodia uh, on a boat all the way to California during the Khmer, when the Khmer Rouge, the killings in the killing fields, he, most of his family died in that horrific event. Chantha survived in a boat all the way across the uh, Pacific Ocean, landed in Long Beach, California, got saved, went to Bible college, and came to Hot Springs, Arkansas for 10 years. And he was an amazing addition to our church. I don't know how many of you still remember Chantha. Uh, he, he led a lot of our people in here. I mean, you've got these people here that were led to Christ by Chantha. Uh, people in the first service that were led to Christ by Chantha. He is flying in from Singapore to be with us on that Sunday. I thought that was great. So that's just kind of a, one of those kind of a lot of, okay, this is good. You know, it's, it's already getting better, you know. So June 11th is going to be kind of a special Sunday. But every Sunday is special. So I wanted you to see what, we, what our family looked like in 1996. At the end of 96, that's my wife and I and our two boys. But today we want to honor a family. And we've been doing that now for, uh, this, is our, this is our second month. And we honored Tony and Marcia Thomas and their family, uh, charter members of the church. Today a, a family that came uh, a little bit later, maybe six months we had someone join the church, and then a little bit after that, he met his girlfriend, fiance, soon-to-be wife. And so let me introduce you to Thomas and Claudia Kemp. They've been in our church for 24 years, almost 25. Uh, Thomas, I married them in that picture. And then Thomas and Claudia, the first picture in the uh, church directory, there they are with Elijah. Now, Elijah was a cute little baby. In fact, he was so cute, we put him on one of our first gospel tracks. There he is. We made this beautiful gospel track called, You've Never Been So Loved. And then we put the chubby fat cheeks of Elijah Kemp. And his mother put bright red lipstick on, and she kissed him all over his face. So that was pretty cool. And, uh, and then, Brother Thomas, look at that. Dude, you're styling there, bro. He was in charge of our shut-in ministry. Now, what God has done over these 24 years as he's matured Thomas, Thomas has been a guy that he can just about do anything. Whatever you need him to do. If you need him to be your music director, he can be your music director. And he was our music director for many years. If you need him to be your shut-in director, he can be your shut-in director because he loves people. If you need him to be a deacon over the hospital visitation, he can do that. And he does that right now. If you need him to run your sound in, at the 9 o'clock service, he can do that. And he runs the sound. If you need him to lead worship at CR, he can do that. And he leads worship at CR. You want me to keep going? You see, this guy's amazing. His family's amazing. They just serve God. And they've raised some wonderful children. And then there they are. getting. Oh, there comes Bree. There she is. She was beautiful then. She's beautiful now. Sweet, big old smile. There he is as our music director. Thomas is our music director. That was awesome. And there's their family. Aren't they beautiful? And that is kind of this year's picture of the whole crew 24 years at Gospel Light, and then Thomas and Claudia. Love this couple. Thomas and Claudia Kemp, would you join me in welcoming them to the platform? 
Come on up. Thank you for 24 years. Yeah, Bree, come on up. Come on, Bree. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. The younger version of Claudia. Here she is. I love it. And I wish Elijah could be here, but hopefully he's not kissing anybody right now. You know, yeah, he likes, he likes to be kissed, but he is a good boy. He's at Washita Baptist University, and he is already becoming a leader there. He's having a spiritual influence on those he comes in contact with. He's got a good church he goes to. These kids are amazing. They are amazing. And you guys are amazing. Claudia is the dean of education at Champion Christian College and has been there for several years now and has had a major impact on the accreditation process here at Champion. Is Brad Moody here? Did Brad make it today? There's Brad. Brad's our new uh, chief executive officer, if you will, of our college. Amazing guy. He has complimented Claudia and her sister Digna in so, so many times about how far they have brought us down. We are so close to being accredited or at least to having all of our credits at Champion transferable. Students can get their Pell Grants and use their scholarships. We're that close. And you, my friend, have had a lot to do with that. So thank you. It's been a long journey. This is an amazing family. I could brag and brag and brag and brag and brag on this, these people. They're amazing. Uh, Bree is starting to lead worship now. In our youth department. Isn't that great? And, and she went to Mo and she said, Mo, hey, if you want, I can start helping. And Mo said, you got it, girl. And she now is, God's using these, this family in amazing ways. I want to take them out to eat. Can we do that? We'll do a nice restaurant. Yeah, let's go. So that's our gift to the families, just a dinner. Uh, and so we're going to do that with this couple. But we also have upgraded the certificate. I gave Thomas, I mean, uh, Tony and Marsha, I upgraded theirs to just frame it so they can keep it hanging on their wall. But just a certificate of appreciation for 20. Thank you. Love you guys so much. All right. Thank you. Love you. All right. God bless you. Awesome. And I know I could have them say something and all that, and that would be great. But um, I, think, I think we just want to spoil them and love them and just say thank you. So we'll do that ten more times this year. And uh, I'm excited about it. So just thanking God for the families that are in our church and, uh, and, and, and able to do that like that. So that's, that's awesome. Well, Song of Solomon, are you there in your Bibles? It's an incredible, incredible chapter in Scripture. Um, really, really unusual. It's one of the most... No, no, it's not. It is the most misunderstood book in the entire Old Testament. Second, only to Revelation, which is a New Testament book. This book is definitely one that you have to study. And, and honestly, I think a lot of people, including myself at times, really didn't have a clue as to why this book is even in the Bible. And, and yet today we're going to discover that there is a reason. And it's an amazing reason. And as we begin this this series on foundations regarding the family. And we begin to think about marriage, parenting, and relationships. Now, let me stop here and say, you may be saying, if you've been here a year, two, three, five, ten, or even 24, you may say, Pastor, how many of these series have you preached? Well, almost exactly 25 sermon series on the family. I looked in my old Bible. I have every sermon I've ever preached at Gospel Light. Every sermon I have ever preached, I have in my office. And I looked back this week over the history of my sermons and found over 20 sermon series on the family. 20. 
This is a new one. This is a fresh one. This is the year 2017 series. You say, preacher, why would you preach every year a new series on the family? Because there is absolutely no relationship more important on planet Earth than your family. The relationships within your family. Now, I know we have a lot of different kinds of situations at this church. What's important is the one you have right now. The past is the past. Amen. We're not worried about that. We're not, I don't want anybody here to worry about connecting yourself to what happened. This is about today. If you're single, if you're married, if you're divorced and remarried. It doesn't make any difference. It's where you're at right now with the family that God has given you. So, let's dive in. Two main characters in the book of Song of Solomon. I like to keep it simple, don't you? So let's keep it simple this morning. Number one, it's a shepherd boy. Number two, it's a Shulamite woman. Now, I think the first thing we need to understand, if this is a book about romantic love, then it's nice to know that God established it's always a man and a woman. It's always. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to be politically correct. I'm a Bible preacher. And the truth of the matter is, is what Washington says, if it's in contrary to what the Bible says, we need to be take a strong stand on the word of God. And so God makes a great distinction here, just like he did in Genesis just like he did all throughout the Bible, once again, it's a boy, it's a girl, it's a man, it's a woman. In verse number one of Song of Solomon, we see the Bible says, the song of songs, the song of songs. What does that remind you of? Well, you know, oftentimes scripture places emphasis on a word, the holy of holies, the king of, the lord of, the song of. All 10 of you, thank you. Let's try that again. The king of. The Lord of, the Holy of, and the Song of Songs. Thank you. All right. Actually, I got worried there because our 9 o'clock service that isn't even awake for like an hour. Did better than that. All right, you're awake. So the Song of Songs. This is an emphasis. You've got to listen this. If there was ever a poem, if there was ever a love song, this is a love song. This is a love, po- is love poet poetry. And then it says, which is... Solomon's, which is Solomon's. The Song of Solomon was written 1,000 years before Christ, in 1,000 B.C. If you're going to understand the book of the Song of Solomon, you have to understand a couple of things. Now, these aren't in your notes. This is just foundational thoughts to get us through this week and next week. Number one, the first thing is this. You have to understand where the book is in the Bible. When you study God's word, it's often good to kind of find out the chronological order, potentially even where it is regarding the timeline of scripture or potentially also regarding the categories of the Old Testament. There's five categories in the Old Testament. The first five books are the law. And then the next five or the next few, I should say, are the historical books in scripture. But what are the next five? The poetic books, five poetic books in the word of God. The first poetic book is about, is Job. The second poetic book is Psalms. Then there is Proverbs. Then there is Ecclesiastes. Then there is the Song of Solomon. And because these are poetic books, they need to be understood and studied a little bit differently. You see, poetic books are all about wisdom. Wisdom. For instance, class, somebody answer this question. The book of Job is about wisdom in what? In suffering, in trials, in hardship. That's what the book's about. If you've ever been through a hardship, if you've ever been through a trial, if you've ever been through suffering, how has this book taught you so much about how to deal with it? 
It's phenomenal. The book of Job is about wisdom regarding trials. In Psalms, we find and learn about wisdom about God himself. In Proverbs, we learn wisdom for everyday life. 31 Proverbs, 30 to 31 days in a month. One chapter every day makes for vitamins for life. I mean, it, just, it, can, it can give you wisdom to change every day of your life. The book of Ecclesiastes is about wisdom in regards to the world. And then the book of Song of Solomon is a book of wisdom as it relates to marital love. So you have to understand where the book is. Secondly, to understand the the book of Song of Solomon, you have to understand how poetry is to be interpreted. I love poetry. I write poetry. I've written a lot of poetry, and I love it. But, But to understand Song of Solomon, you have to understand this is not an allegory. Some would say that it is, like Pilgrim's Progress or like the Chronicles of Narnia. Some would like to relay uh, uh, allegory as in Jesus and the church in the New Testament. But this is not about Jesus and the church. Some can, can take it that way, but, but there's no mention of God in the entire book. In fact, the New Testament does not mention anything about the Song of Solomon. It's not an allegory. It's not typology. It's not a picture of anything used in the New Testament. Like, for instance, in the New Testament, we, we hear about Jonah. That's typology. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, so also is, right? We, we learn there is typology. There are stories in the Old Testament that the New Testament mentions and says, I gave you that story and it's just like this. As in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the coming of the Son of Man, right? Not the Song of Solomon. There's no mention in the New Testament about the Song of Solomon being a type of anything in the New Testament. It's not typology. It's not a drama. It's not some sort of act. It is literal. It is historical. It is simply a series of poems expressing the pinnacle of human affection. I want to put it to you like this on your notes. The Song of Solomon is a book about the romantic love of a man and a woman committed together for life. That's just for us this morning. That's for the sermon. It's a book about commitment. God put a whole book in the Bible about romantic love in marriage that never mentions anything about God. Nothing. Only about the love of a man and a woman who are committed together for life. But let's talk about Solomon for a minute. Solomon was a wise man, wasn't he? A very wise man. But Solomon was not a man of self-control. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 11, we read that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. 300 backups, if you will. 300 that would be ready to take the place of a wife who passed away or who got sick. So sad. He was a very immoral man. You see, Solomon never, ever found the kind of love that he talks about in this book. He never found it. And if you don't believe me, read the book of Ecclesiastes. This man was miserable. He lived his entire life and he said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I've tried everything. But he never experienced what he wrote about. He observed it. He observed it. I wonder who he observed it in. Here's what I believe. I believe he observed it in the Shulamite woman. Personally, I think Solomon was after her to become one of his concubines or his wives. 
The reason why Solomon could not get her is because she already had her eyes set on her true love. And there was nothing Solomon could do to woo her into his palace because she already had her sights on someone she truly loved. And Solomon never experienced the kind of love he wrote about in this book. So are you ready for some help in your marriage and in your life and in your dating life? And then I'm ready. I know I'm ready. And I want you to know that much of this message has already been lived and preached before me. And my wife has, honestly, without her even knowing it, she has prepared most of this message. So here it is, Carol Ann. Much of what you've been preaching to me for years is about to come out. Now, when we think about Song of Solomon, the word that I think surfaces is this word. It's not in the book, but it's what the book is all about. And it's a word that I've been using a lot lately when it comes to marriage counseling and and just philosophy of marriage. And it's the word exclusive. Because that's what romantic love is. It is very exclusive. In fact, romantic love is sparked when it is exclusive. For instance, single, single adults. Let me say a word to you. If you're single today, this is where it sparks. It sparks. This is where the fire starts, you see, right here. If you're a married couple, this is where the fire is what? Not sparked. You sparked it when you got married, but you know what it needs? It needs rekindling. You see, a lot of marriages, what they look is to spark it with somebody else and not rekindle the love they have. Therefore, we have all of these problems and all of this, these affairs and, and pornography and divorce and all kinds of marriage, marriages that are ending in a sad way. Why? Because we're looking for that spark somewhere else when what God wants us to do is to rekindle the spark that we had. It's exclusive. And when it becomes exclusive, it has energy. When it becomes exclusive, it, it has affection and passion. And I want you to know this morning that, that all of my energy and all of my affection and all of my passage is, passion is focused on one person. And that is my wife, Carol Ann, sitting on the front row. Now, well, how is exclusive defined? Well, in the, in, the, in the dictionary, it's defined as this. It's defined as limited to use by a single individual. That's the definition in our dictionary. Limited to use by a single individual. Individual. Now, with that definition in mind, let's talk about six different examples of what we mean by that. Number one, exclusive means time together. Now, we've heard that before, so let's add the all-important word alone. Time together alone. You can't have exclusive without this. It's impossible. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 3 on the screen. Here is what she said. She said this about him. Listen to the poetry. It's beautiful. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Your name is like perfume. Therefore, virgins love you. In other words, she says, you know what? It's obvious why so many people like you. She says, I, I can see why all the girls want you. You're, you're incredible. You, 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 your love, your looks, your, your body, everything about you is so amazing. And then she says, draw me after you. I want to go after you, she says. I only want you. I want time together with you. 
I remember when I was dating my wife, Carol Ann, you know, she had dated over 100 guys. No, you did at college. You dated, you dated honey, you dated. She said, well, you, you, she dated everybody that would ask her at least once. And then I used to think, well, because, I mean, it was unbelievable. You'd see Carol Ann with a different guy almost all the time. But then you'd see her with a different, in other words, it was amazing. Hang on, it gets better. And this is a great illustration, I promise. So I'm noticing this, you know, and, and then finally she dated one of my roommates, John. And actually he was a room, two rooms down. I said roommate, he was two rooms down. And so he comes back from the date. I knew he had, because I was starting to kind of, you know, notice this girl that was just, to me, she was pretty awesome, great personality, beautiful girl. And, but I just noticed she, you know, and, and so John asked her out. And, and, and John came up. I said, how'd it go, man? How'd it go, John? And John said, she's incredible. She's beautiful. She smelled great. Her personality is phenomenal. He said, man, here's what he said. And I'm quoting it exactly like he said it. He said this. She's way out of my league. He said, man, I can see why not many guys date her twice. He said, man, she just, all she talks about is God, Jesus, and spiritual things, and the chapel sermons. And I mean, so I just didn't really know what to say. I mean, it's just like, I'm just kind of intimidated by her passion for God. And as soon as he said that, I thought, I'm going to be one-on-one. <laughs> I'm going for it, man. Sounds like a challenge to me. And I began to pursue her. Just in dating at first. In the first 10 dates, we just asked questions, you know. We, had, we called it the 10-question game. She would bring 10 questions, and, and I would bring 10 questions, and, and that was our date. And honestly, there was no passion, really. Uh, there was, uh, it, we, in fact, we would tell each other, hey, we're just, you know, just friends. And that's all it was. But then it began to move beyond that. It began to become exclusive. I began to spend time with only one girl on that campus, and that was Carol Ann. Verse 7 and verse 8, look at it on the screen. She says, tell me, who, who, you who my soul loves, tell me, she says to her, 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 little, her boy, her boyfriend, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? And then he says, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. In other words, he was saying this to her, I want to be with you and only you. Come by me. Let's get to know each other. Exclusivity in, 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 in dating, exclusivity in marriage. Only one person spending time alone with. You see, getting married is easy. It is. One of the easiest things you'll ever do. It's wonderful. But staying married is difficult. And staying happily married for a lifetime would be considered today as one of life's most finest arts. That's the challenge. Staying committed for a lifetime. Meditate on that statement for just a moment. Time together alone produces that right there. Now alone doing what? 
what are some things we can do alone? Because I, I feel as if maybe I talk to couples and it seems like they just don't get it. They can't, nothing clicks. What do we do? What do you mean, what do you do? You can go for a walk. That's easy and free. And if you live somewhere else other than where I live, it's safe. But I go for walks in the hood. Most everybody knows me. I've been here for a long time. They, most everybody calls me the preacher. Even the drug dealers call me the preacher. Here comes the pastor. No kidding. I walk by drug dealing house. Hey, pastor, how you doing? They leave me alone, man. A lot of times they pray for me. You know. <laughs> but I like taking walks. And I'm, I want to do better at that with my wife in the neighborhood. I, I walk mainly with Ann right now. We have a lot of good talks. She doesn't talk back, but she likes to listen for sure. What about walking? What about talking? No, nothing more sad than watching two people spend time together and not talking. My daughter Chloe and I go on dates and sometimes she'll say, Daddy, why has that couple been sitting there next to each other for an hour and not said a word? One of the saddest things you can do is to be with the one you love and not talk. Walk and talk and laugh, laugh together. That's one thing Carol Ann and I can do is we can have a good time together. And then what about play? Play together. Tickle one another. Have a good time. And then plan together. My wife and I have started on Sunday nights planning the week. It's on my schedule. And so tonight we'll get together and she'll say, okay, let's plan the week. Who's coming over? When are we going on a date? You know, what kind of time do I have with you? And if it's a week like this week where she knows I'm going to be out of town traveling a little bit, she'll say, all right, you know, how can we make sure we get it all in? You know? And I love it because we plan together and it's challenging. And then I wrote down praying together. Pray together. First Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Last week Brother Bax reminded us that we are to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. How are you going to do that without these six things? You've got to walk and talk and laugh and play and plan and pray to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Now, who are the primary problem in this scenario? I'll tell you who it is. It's men. We are. We're the primary problem here. We're the ones that struggle with this. So many women feel alone in their marriages. As men give themselves to other things. As men give themselves to sports and to work and to kids and to making friends. And in my case, to the ministry. And our families begin to suffer as a result of all of our other things going on. How do you rekindle that love? Well, it's possible but you've got to spend time together. You've got to get back to where you just can't wait to get home. One of the greatest things about our marriage lately is that, honestly, I can't wait to get home. I've rekindled that, that first love. I, I just love being around her. I, I love, man, I love smelling her. I, I told her recently, man, you smell so good. She goes, I'm just wearing the same stuff. I'm like, it just smells different to me. It smells better. I love to cuddle up with her. And I love to, to, when she's not in bed, to smell her, her pillow. Just, just reminds me of her. You say, that, that's just, that's different. No, it's, it's the way you used to be. You just need to rekindle it. Fire it up again. Spark it again. Rekindle that love. You can have it back, but it's going to take some time. Number two, exclusive means time. Secondly, exclusive means attention. It means full attention. Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 8. I love this. Listen to this poetry. It's incredible. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Listen to this enthusiasm. 
I mean, listen to her as she, as she begins to speak about her beloved. This is what he's like. Behold, there he stands behind the wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. This guy wants to see her so bad, nothing can get in the way. He just wants to be with her. He wants to see her. He wants to focus his attention on her. Nothing, church, nothing families, nothing marriages is more debilitating to true love than failing to give full attention. This is an area where my wife constantly challenges me. Just to show you how much I struggle with this, I came off the road yesterday from a a good trip. We went to Kingsport. We had a wonderful teen revolution rally. Had four young people raise their hands, trusting Christ as their Savior. We had an amazing time. It's a long trip, though. Ten ten hours back, a couple hour stops. Man, I was worn out. I wanted to make it back so bad for the dessert fundraiser, and I did. Made it back. Paid my $5. Got dessert. It was great. But I was tired. And my mind was tired. And my mind was restless. And so Carol Ann said to me finally, she said, Sweetheart, it's been four times now that you've said what? And I know you hear me, but you're not listening. You continue to ask me to repeat things that you've already heard. You're not giving me the attention that I need. You've been gone. And I really need you to listen to me. That's last night. That's that. that that's like 12 hours before I had to stand and preach this point. How could I not say this, be honest, with her sitting right there? How could I preach this and act as if I know what I'm talking about without telling you that I struggle in this area? But I'm thankful that I have a wife that's helping me in this area to be more focused. Because oftentimes my body is at the house, but my brain is at the church. You guys know what I'm talking about, that work hard? Your body's at the house, but your brain's at work, and you're trying to settle things down and get calmed down. I struggle with it, man. And I need my wife to say, attention, 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 focus right here. Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 14 is phenomenal. Look at it on the screen. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, he's speaking. He says, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is comely. Let me give you four quick ways to give your full attention to your spouse. Number one, get by yourself. Get by yourself. That's how you fell in love and that's how you're going to stay in love. By getting by yourself. You're going to have to make time for this. My wife and I right now are working on this by going through books like Forever Love by Francis Chan. Every couple in this room that has not read that book together is doing yourself an injustice. When's the last time you sat down and read a book together? When's the last time you, you, together, you went through a small group Bible study about marriage? When have you done it? Think about it. Well, we just don't have time. That's your problem. That's why you're struggling. You've got to spend time together. Carve out 30 minutes or an hour. It's worth the investment. 50 minutes before you go to bed. And don't call your, don't say your wife's nagging you when she reminds you to do something you promised to do. I said it, honey. Number two, silence all other sounds. Turn off the radio, turn off the TV, and turn off the cell phone. Yeah, you got it. For some reason, we feel like in 2017 that these things are like part of our bodies. 
It's like God forgot to create the cell phone at, in, in the garden, you know. And it just has to stay there, ready to roll at all times. Truth of the matter is, is we would do ourselves justice by trusting God for about an hour with all the world's problems, including our own, and just focus on our wife's attention and our spouse's attention. Number three, sit close. Sit close. Sit close. Listen, you don't need a six-inch rule with your spouse, okay? You can get in there tight and close and cuddle, and, and, and it's a wonderful thing. It's something, listen, guys, we're not good at this, but let's get good at it. Let's sit closer. Let's listen. Number four, listen. Make that commitment. Listen. And then, then my wife, she, she has number five. I didn't put it down there, but my wife, if I didn't add number five, I added it today because this is my, my wife's number five. This is the one she wrote, okay? She's been big on this lately. All of a sudden, you remember, you, you recognize this, honey. Repeat back for confirmation. <laughs> That's number five, okay? It's not in your notes, but write it in. It's Carol Ann's number five. To, to make sure you, you, you're focused, repeat back, man. I just gave you great advice from the pastor's life. Whether you're in a godly dating relationship or a marriage, this will work. Trust me, it'll work. Number four, number three, exclusive means ownership. It means ownership. Look at this. Song of Solomon 2.16. My beloved is mine and I am his. Look at chapter 6, verse 3. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Marriage is about giving yourself to another person. That's what it's about. Carol Ann, you belong to me, and I belong to you. The word is oneness. Everything we do is about being together. It's so sad to see two married people living totally separate lives. They don't even sleep together so many times. I don't understand it. Totally separate. They're, they've drawn so far apart through the months and years that before they know it, they're just two separate people living in the same house but having nothing to do with one another except for the same last name. It's about ownership. One of the greatest truths in marriage that Carol Ann and I are learning is oneness. Carol Ann owns me. She owns me. And I own her. And gentlemen, I'm not speaking. You see, where everyone wants to go with that is the physical. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. That, I, I'm not going there because I, I don't need to, because I don't believe that's the main thing. Listen, that, that's important. That's a wonderful gift from God. But I'm going to tell you something right now. What's more important is that you and your wife can experience oneness at a level that doesn't need that to express it. It may just need a kiss. It may need a kiss that you would only kiss with her. You know, I'm concerned about your germs, but I'm really not concerned about my wife's. In other words, if I'm out eating with Dave here, and Dave takes his spoon and gets a big old bite of chili and eats it and then says, Preacher, you got to taste this. I'm like, <laughs> love you, brother. I don't want none of your hair beard in my mouth, man. <laughs> I'll use my own spoon, yeah. But if Carol Ann says it, I'm like, it don't bother me. Because we're the same person. Her saliva's my saliva, and my saliva's her saliva. If that grosses you out, too bad. But we're one. If she says, hey, take a sip of this, take a sip of a milkshake, or, it doesn't bother me. She's mine, and I'm hers. We're one. 
And this is what marriage is all about. Number four, exclusive means pursuing one person. Pursuing one person. Now, this does not happen if you're single. This is not what I'm talking about in just a dating relationship. Oftentimes, dating is just to get to know someone. But there does come a point in that relationship where it does become exclusive and that you're only pursuing one person. So many times, relationships can go very fast because we skip the dating part of it. We skip the getting to know each other part of it, which is very important. Becoming their friends first. And I like it when that happens and usually ends up more successful in the end. But look at this in Song of Solomon chapter 3. This is amazing. Notice the pursuance. Do you see it? On my bed by night, I sought him. Do you see it? I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now. I'm going to go, I'm going to go find him. In the streets, in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I couldn't find him. The watchmen found me and they, as they went about in the city. Have you seen him? Have you seen him whom my soul loves? You see, exclusive love is pursuing love. Ladies, listen. Men want to be pursued. Men, ladies want to be pursued. We love that. It's a mutual pursuit. Me after you. And you after me. The number one complaint of women after marriage is this. My husband doesn't pursue me anymore. He just doesn't pursue me. When we were dating, oh, now here's Carol Ann coming out again. I'm not telling you because it's great. This is why our marriage is constantly improving because I'm listening to my wife. And by the way, if she were speaking, I think she would say things about me. I remember Carol Ann, I was gone from Carol Ann for 60 days one time when we were dating and engaged. 60 days gone, okay? And so I wrote her 60 notes, one for each day. <laughs> I mean, hey, I had them all dates on them, you know, little hearts, and oh, so sweet. I mean, it was mushy. It was awesome. She'd open it up that day. Don't you read the next one? I mean, the whole bit, guys. It was awesome. I noticed you were gone for three days. You remember when you were gone for 60? And you used to write me 60 notes? I still wish you'd pursue me like that. Okay. See that? See, this is what we need. We need to pursue our wives like we pursued them when we went after them. Let me tell you something. And I want you to read this on the screen. Fill in the blanks and meditate on it for about 10 seconds. There's something very sinful about the human heart. And here it is. Are you ready? We want to go after what we don't have. And we take for granted what we possess. That's very sinful. Thus... A multi-billion dollar industry called pornography. Going after what we don't have. Thus all these, these, I don't even know the name of the website, but some kind of website where we can privately have an affair with somebody that nobody supposedly will find out but God, which is crazy to me how we think nobody finds out. When God knows, then who cares who else knows? 
But we got all these things. We want what we don't have. That's sinful. But yet we take for granted what we possess. That's sinful. Both of those are. And this is so important for you, to, you and I to understand. Because this breaks down marriage. And I am only pursuing my wife's affection is exclusive pursuing. She's the only one I'm after. There's no one else I'm interested in. She needs to know that. You need to know that. Everybody needs to know. The world needs to know that. There's no one I'm pursuing but her. Number five. Exclusive love means supreme value. Now this is a great point. Because we do not pursue our wives because at some point we lost valuing our spouse. We quit valuing them. Pursuit is easy when value is high. When value is high, pursuit is easy, you see. Let me give you a scripture. Song of Solomon chapter number 4. Look at 9 and 10 on the screen. You've captivated my heart. You've captivated my heart. My sister, speaking of their friendship, my bride. You've captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. One glance, that's all I need. Just one glance. When I see you, immediately I realize what I have. With one jewel of your necklace, one sniff of your perfume puts me in just one sniff. How beautiful is your love? How much better is your love than wine? And the fragrance of your oils than any spice. In other words, it's not your perfume, sweetheart. It's you. It's you that I'm after and only you. I value our love. When I'm away from Carol Ann for a day or two or three or whatever it is, I can look at her picture now and I work at this because I, I, I don't want anyone else's face to catch my eye. I don't want to, to, to be guilty of not valuing my wife. And so I find that pictures are a beautiful tool. And so I don't know why anybody... Any married man would have as anything else on their phone other than a picture of their wife. It's a phenomenal tool. It's a great way to do things. You don't need your favorite football team. You don't need it. It's, 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 I know you like them, but it doesn't need to be more important. Look, when you press that little button and the light goes on, let it be your hot wife. Amen. You see, what I'm saying is, is that this is the kind of thing I think she was saying here. One glance of your face. You see, when I see your picture, I'm like, can't wait to get home. Nothing like that right there. Nothing like her. Adrian Rogers, the great Baptist preacher who passed away in 2005. Pastor Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee said this. When I went to his pastor's conference a year before he died, he talked about his wife. And he said, I've learned I'm not going to trade diamonds for dirt. Why would anybody want to trade the dirt of pornography for their spouse? Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody want to trade the diamond of your spouse, that, that one whom no one can replace for anything. We must return to the exclusive focus of the strengths of our lifetime partner. Not the weaknesses, but the strengths. I realize, look, my wife and I are not, 
we don't have all of the youth that we have. I don't have the hair. I'm bald. I'm not, I don't have that incredible massive muscular physique I, physique I had when we first got married. I mean, you should have seen her when I took off my shirt. It was incredible. She fainted. Now she just says, turn the lights out, man. Woo! And, I mean, we, we, we're not going to maybe win a beauty contest. So we're not going to enter into some big contest and win some. But that's not what, what I'm talking about here. The strengths of my wife, I think she's beautiful. And I, I think she thinks I'm handsome. She tells me I am. But I'm not stupid. I mean, I, I know what handsome is. I do. But you know what? This morning when I woke up at 6 o'clock and went and get a cup of coffee and came back into the room and saw my wife's closet light on and her on her knees at 6.05 in the morning, your pastor's wife, my wife. I can't get that anywhere. She has a strength. She prays for me and her kids. And I, I just, I'm going to value that. I'm going to value that more than... A friend of mine who told me a few years ago, yeah, you ought to try somebody younger. I traded in my 40 for 220s, he told me. I said, you're disgusting. You are disgusting. I value my wife too much to make her have to believe she has to be like she was when she was 20. Listen, her spiritual maturity now and love for us and her, her passion for her family now is what I value more than I do her looks, her weight, her body, than anything. And then number six, and I'm done. Exclusive means forever. Forever. Song of Solomon chapter 7 verse 10. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. For me, Song of Solomon 8, 6, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love, for love is as strong as death. When you got married, you, had a, you made a vow to your wife, till death do us part. There it is. That's love. Love is as strong as death. Exclusive means no exit ramp until we are with Jesus. Baby, I ain't getting off until we die and go to heaven. I'm in this car with you. I'm going down this road with you. Bumps and all, man. Bruises and all. Gray hair, bald heads, scars, wrinkles. We're just going to shift our value to some different things that are much more valuable than some of the things we thought were all we needed. Well, I've matured in my love and found out that those things pale in comparison to commitment. No other option. No other plan. You're looking at a guy that's, I have no other options, no other plan. I am married to my wife till death do us part. This is my person forever in this lifetime. Now listen, that's what our kids need to know. That's what our church needs. Stronger families. And I realize that this is just a sermon. It wasn't a counseling session. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was a sermon. I preached it. I, I, I understand 
there's a need for counseling and there's a need for a lot of things to enhance our marriages. But today was an emphasis from your preacher. And next week, I'll do two sermons on, on, on marriage, just, just two this time. But I'll, I'll continue with some other things on, on family and relationships for about four weeks. But I'm doing this because I love you. And I'm doing this because I know this is what is important to God. Families, strong families. This is what builds the church. This is what strengthens the foundation of society. We've got to have stronger families. And so I'm asking you to consider these things this morning. And I'd like to do this in closing. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. Close your eyes. Just for a moment. I won't be long. And I want to ask you to quiet your heart.